Well, grab a Bible and join us tonight. We are in the book of Acts. We are in chapter 24. Hoping you got a Bible. If you don't, they're in front of you. You can grab one of those joining us here in this chapter. Use electronic device if that's what works good for you in the midst of that. But be open. Have the Word of God open. Same invitation. If you're joining us in the overflow or online, we invite you to have a Bible and, and that God would take His Word and help it just make sense, and then more than that, speak into your life that which He has. And so we're excited to have that as an opportunity tonight as we make our way through the book of Acts, journeying a chapter at a time. So we're going to do tonight, we're going to try to cover a whole chapter, longing that God would speak to us in this chapter in kind of an overview of it, and in the midst of it, longing for His voice to be heard. So I'm going to ask for that, and I'd ask you to ask for that, that you would just present yourself before God tonight and just in a humbling way, say, God, here I am. Speak to me. Uh, I invite you to tell him that right now. And I believe that if you'll hear him, if you'll listen to him, he will speak to you something tonight, something in the midst of this evening that you will be able to go, that was mine. That nugget was from me. That piece was mine. And you'll take it home. And I hope you will. And it'll work good into your life. So let's ask him for that right now. God, your word is good. It is true. Thank you for it. Thank you for that which you've, you've given it to and for. And I know that tonight you'd have us to understand and, and to see with a, a lens of understanding. And I would ask for that. I'd ask you to open up our understanding. But I also know you're doing a work, a work of transformation inside of us. And you do it through your word. And I would like to present myself to you and say, God, I, I would like that. I want to hear your voice. I want to know what you're saying. I pray that for me and I pray for everyone here. God, take your word and speak it and then take that nugget that you would give us tonight. That piece that would be for us to grab hold of and process, that we would not neglect it. That we'd not do what you tell us there in the book of James, that we would come in and hear but not be doers and we come in and we'd like see our face in a mirror and then walk away without doing anything about it help that folly not to be ours may we hear it may we walk in it may we take that which you give us and apply it into our lives god you're the only one that can do that so we humble ourselves to you right now in prayer asking for your help give us understanding in this moment we ask for it right now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Jesus told us that in this world we would have tribulation. That is certainly true. Part of being in this world is to find ourselves in a space and a time where you know, that we live in a world where there's confusion, where we live in a time when deception and lies, they are rampant. They are so much a part of our culture that dealing with this isn't just something that is a maybe. It's a certainty that you're going to be walking in a world that would invite you to, to navigate difficult situations and at times where you find yourself under a, a, a microscope of others that would be seeking to bring in questions and even accusation in your life. And we want to come at this evening thinking about it this way. If you've been with us uh, in the book of Acts, let me remind you where we are. 
Paul had made his way to Jerusalem, taking the gospel there, taking uh, hope and encouragement, and even bringing the testimony of what God had been doing around the world. It's gone badly. God had warned him it would, and it did. Uh, He was arrested. He was arrested, falsely arrested for something he didn't do in there, saying that he was stirring up a riot. He didn't. Paul has done his best to, you know, answer that. He shared his testimony. He's talked in the midst of uh, different councils. But as we left it last week, the Jews were so angry that they had, uh, they'd had 40 people who had covenanted not to eat or drink until they'd killed him. Rome, the, the, the leader of Lysias there, had, had sent Paul then from the city of Jerusalem over to the seaside city of Caesarea, and Paul is under arrest. He's in prison. Uh, he's in prison. He's awaiting trial. And we come at it this evening, and that's where we're going to be. He is facing the trial. He's facing this space where these accusations are landing, where things are coming against him, and he's going to be giving answer for that and helping that. Now, I want us to understand it. I want you to see the story. I want you to follow along in it. But I want to, again, begin by saying, I'm hoping, and I'm asking God's help, that it would actually speak into your life in a way this evening that would help you where you are and will face just such things. Maybe, maybe it'll never happen. Maybe you never will sit in a prison cell for your faith. Maybe you'll never have to, to, to give an answer for your faith in that, but maybe you will. It's possible. It's possible that our country could be headed in this direction. It might happen. But if it doesn't happen, it's still going to happen in a way that people will be cross-examining you. It might be family, family who look at you and think that you've, you're, you're just wacko, and, and, and they bring you know, words against you and, and, and times against you. It might be friends. It, it might be co-workers. It's probably happened to everybody here in this room, and it probably will happen to all of us again. And there's a way of just kind of watching how this happens in a way because from Paul's perspective, he does really well. He's going to be a good example for navigating just such situations. And I'm hoping that tonight God would speak to you in in a way that would help you go, I needed that because that's what I'm going through. Or he'll sow something into your heart that when it gets to you, like, okay, it is happening. Just like it happened, it's happening to me. Well, let's join our story. Uh, We're there in chapter 24, joining in the middle of the story. Paul's been taken down to the city of Caesarea. And it says, after five days, Ananias, the high priest, came down uh, with the elders in a certain order named Tertullius. These gave evidence to the governor against Paul. So you see it, that the the religious leaders are coming, they got the elders, and they bring a lawyer, they bring a very order who's going to come in, they're going to speak this, and they just begin this attack against Paul. I just want to note a few of the things that that happen here, and again, just say some of this, what happens to him, happens in our world. It really begins with just a whole bout of flattery. Notice how it begins there in verse 2. It says, when he was called upon, Tertullian, uh, the orator, began his, his accusation saying, seeing that through you we enjoy great peace and prosperity is brought to this nation by your foresight. We accept it always and in all places, most noble Felix with all thankfulness. Nevertheless, not to be too tedious to you, uh, any further, I beg you to hear and by your courtesy uh, a few words 
from us. Boy, I don't think it has to take anybody brilliant just to kind of feel the, the weight of those words dripping with flattery, with this place where he's saying these things like, oh, we are so happy for you, and we are just so gracious for you. And, and just without knowing anything about the situation, you would look and say, okay, this isn't true. I mean, this is flattery. Now, I know that you know that, but here's part of the problem. It's so common in our world that it almost doesn't shock us. I know that you know this, and I don't want to be, you know, you know, making anybody discouraged, but it's a political year. It's a political year, and politics is kind of like flattery. So often, what, what, what people try to do is tell us what they think we want to hear. Uh, they say things that they don't mean, uh, to uh, engender things that they're never going to do, uh, and, and, and just the, there's, a, there's this craziness in our world that we can kind of watch such things with almost not just being frustrated. Now, maybe you are. You're like, stop flattering. Stop, stop, stop doing those things, and yet it is so much part of the way our world plays the game. Now, this situation where Paul is, it's much worse than you could imagine, so just a quick FYI, so Antonius Felix, the governor who is the Roman governor over uh, the area at this point in time, he's got a really notable history. He is the first slave in the history of the Roman Empire to become a, a governor over, over a province. Now, if that's all we knew, we would think, okay, this is going to be some great success story of, you know, overcoming odds. It's not. <laughs> it would be great if he earned it. He didn't. He received his office uh, because he and his notorious brother Paulus were favorites uh, of the Emperor Claudius. Um, but Felix was a terrible governor. Uh, he's a terrible governor. He instigated the murder of the, of the high priest, you know, just said, you know, just because he wouldn't kind of bow to him, he had him killed. Uh, he has slaughtered a uh, whole host of people right here in the city where they are, in Caesarea. Uh, he had, had insurrected a, an entire uh, massacre of literally thousands of Jews uh, because of, the, of their uh, just rebellion and, and spaces that, that are in the midst of this. They looted the, the town. They looted the Jews in many ways. Uh, he was a corrupt, immoral, and oppressive. In fact, one Roman historian, Tactus, described him as, I quote, a master of cruelty, and lust, who exercised the power of a king with the spirit of a slave. It's not a good man. It's a bad man. I mean, he, I mean, at any space, the Jews probably would have had difficulty with a Roman leader, but this guy, he was problem from, from the get-go, and, and they have had a very ugly relationship. That makes it all the more almost comical, if you're kind of paying attention when you get this guy, Tertullian, who's there, and he says, you know, again, that, you know, there in verse 2, seeing that through you we enjoy great peace and prosperity uh, throughout this nation because of your foresight. We all, we're always accepting in all places most noble Felix, which he is not, uh, with all thankfulness. I mean, it is absolutely untrue. And yet, you know, you find yourself thinking, I wonder if he's, you know, you know enjoying all the praise. Surely he would see right through it. But it's, it's a place where that's being played, where this is being at work and it's working against Paul as they try to flatter their way into he this man hearing their voice. On top of it, they just began a campaign of slander. As he begins his words, his attack on Paul, he says it there in verse 5, we have found this man a plague 
a creator of dissension among all the Jews throughout the world, and a ringleader of the sect of the Nazarenes. These are weighty accusations, whether you hear them that way or not. He says, this man's a problem. He's a plague. He's a cancer. Everywhere he goes, he causes problems, they say. Everywhere he's been, he's a problem. In fact, they use very specific wording uh, to say he creates dissension. Uh, That's riots. That's, uh, you know, pushback against authority. For Rome, that was huge. This is no, uh, you know, misdemeanor accusation. This is, hey, everywhere this guy goes, he creates problems. He creates problems for Rome. He creates problems for us. And they even just begin to misrepresent who he is. They say he's a ringleader of the sect of the Nazarenes. It's an interesting thing. Uh, Christianity is not really yet called Christianity, and it's going to be what we call it, and through time it'll become the, the word that sticks most of the time in the book of Acts. It's called the way. And Paul's actually going to say it that way in this moment, but they twist it. Uh, they twist it into a, uh, just a sect, into this cult-like thing that even ties into uh, the idea of Nazareth. You probably know from the Gospels that you know, Jesus came from Nazareth, and that was the accusation. Can anything? Good come out of Nazareth. I mean, Nazareth is this hillbilly, hick town of nobody, nothings, and they're like, this is, this is what he is. He, he's, he's a backwater, uh, problem-causing you know, you know, individual, and they just bring accusation against accusation. It's, it's, it's absolutely untrue. It's absolutely not the way it is. Maybe they honestly see it that way. I mean, in one sense, I find myself thinking sometimes the world actually believes the lies they, they say. I found myself thinking of Elijah, who uh, some of you know, he stood up against King Ahab, and King Ahab was a wicked king. Uh, and Elijah, you know, prays, and it doesn't rain for, for seven years, and finally King Ahab finds him. And, and Elijah is getting ready to have that great confrontation with him up on Mount Carmel. But when he sees him, King Ahab says, oh, you're the troubler of Israel. Like, you're the one that's caused all of this trouble, and Elijah's like, um, actually, no, it's you. I mean, like, actually, you know, you're, I mean, and yet it was. Maybe they see it, but it, it, it's actually a, this, this, this attack of slander that's happening there to, to Paul, happening in there in the space that would see it that way, and then they make it more, not only through overarchingly just saying, Boy, they're just a problem. This guy's a, they're, they're just a pain. They're, they cause problems everywhere they go. He now brings very serious lies. Libel, which is a lie meant to, you know, create a problem. They do. They say it this way, that uh, he even tried to profane the temple. And we seized him and wanted to judge him according to our law. That's a lie. Uh, That's not what Paul did. Uh, he had come to Jerusalem come to bring peace. He had been in the temple of Jerusalem to offer a sacrifice. He had done nothing uh, that would have created a riot or revolt, but this is their accusation. He came here. He came to cause problems. He defiled the temple, and we were going to deal with it, they say, but Commander Lysias, verse 7, came down and with great violence uh, took him out of our hands, commanding his accusers to come to you. By examining him, you may ascertain all these things of which we accuse him. 
they look at this and, and, and totally change the story. They make it sound like they were doing everything, you know, by the book and doing everything up and up. And Commander Lysias, this Roman, had come in with great violence. And it was absolutely the opposite. If you went back and read the story, uh, it was a riot. They were killing Paul. They were beating him. It, 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 was, it was total chaos. And the commander had come in and barely rescued his life. The moment they saw the troops come in, everybody stopped. Uh, you know, the, the rioting stopped. The troops, they didn't come in and abuse the people. They just rescued Paul. But they changed the story to make it sound like they're the innocents. And even that in one sense, Rome might have some part to play in this, this part. Kind of even playing like, you know, uh, Felix, you're going to have to watch you know, over these people under you. They're not actually handling these things very well. All of this is playing against Paul, and it's a part of their accusation. It's worth just noting that that's really this entire space. That's how it began it back in verse 2, where Tertullius says he began his accusation. And there in verse 8, it says, they're commanding his accusers to come to you, and by examining him, you may you know, ascertain all these things which we accuse him. It's an accusation, uh, an accusation that is condemnation, that is a place of saying, just weighed against him, just saying we, we're, we're blaming him, we're accusing him of all of this, and they do it by ganging up on him as well. The Jews all assembled, maintaining that all these things were so. It's ugly. It's not true. It's misinformation. It's lies. It's slander. Um, it's twisting everything to try to make Paul look bad, which he is not. It's probably happened to you. It probably will happen to you. Where you'll be reminded that our world is not fair. That we get a fair hearing in our world is not the way it works. That there will be times where people come against you and, and whether again in your family, uh, whether again in your workplace, whether again in your neighborhood, that you'll find yourself thinking, wow, like, you know, I mean, I wouldn't mind, you know, if, if I'd actually done something wrong, you know, we could deal with that. But you're, you, everything you're bringing against me is, is, is lies, mistruth, half truths, slander, accusation, you know, calling me to be the problem. And, and to be at the, at the subject of that is one of those shocking places. Maybe, again, probably for all of you, it's happened in some space where you sat there and go, what just happened? I don't even know where this happened. I don't, I don't, this isn't even true. If it hasn't, it probably will. Again, I'm not trying to be, you know, a prophet, a bearer of doom, but it's worth just noting that this world is governed by a liar. Satan is the liar. He does this, and lies permeate our culture. Flattery, slander, accusation, innuendo, it's, it's constantly used against people. Being aware of that, being in one sense that you would look on that and say, it's not surprising. Maybe that would be help tonight. Maybe in one sense that if you could just look at this and, and find yourself aware that our world is broken and, and sinful and the way that it happens and the way even people treat you at times will be that way where you would look and say, wow, like, you know, this, is, this is lies, it's untrue, it's not, it's not anything that's there and find yourself figuring out how to navigate forward. Like, How do you respond to that? How do you handle it when 
such things are said of you. Well, that's what we want to talk about again this evening. We see all of this, this attack against Paul, the way that it's beginning uh, to lay out, and now we get to turn our attention to Paul and say, Paul, how are you going to handle this? How are you going to handle all the stuff that was just said about you? How are you going to handle this weight of accusation that's moving against you? And Paul brings his defense. Verse 10, it says, Then Paul, after the governor had nodded to him to speak, answered, Inasmuch as I know that you have been for many years a judge of this nation, I do more cheerfully answer uh, for myself. It's worth just kind of picking up the very big difference. They preceded their accusations with a weight of flattery. I mean, it was ugly flattery. It was just full out, you know, Paul just comes in there and goes, boy, I'm glad you're not new at this. Like, I'm glad you've been around for a while because I'm hoping that in one sense you read through the lines like, you guys don't mean anything you're saying. Like, you know, you're, you're flattering. And, he, and Paul's just like, I, you know, I'm glad you, I'm, I'm hoping you would understand the way this is flowing because this is not true. Uh, it's not true. And, and so it's, it's, it's a, a very simple thing, but it's just honest. He doesn't play the same game. He doesn't play the same game. I probably shouldn't even have to say that, but that's not the game we should play. We shouldn't be one who flatters to get what we want, who you know, you know, tries to maneuver and you know, defend ourselves by playing the same lies and, and libel that the world does. It shouldn't be us. We're called to be a people of the truth, that everything we are is a people of the truth and, and shouldn't be the way that we handle it. Paul doesn't. In fact, he just begins to tell the truth. He just unpacks exactly what happened. He says, because you may ascertain, verse 11, that it is no more than 12 days since it went up to Jerusalem to worship. It's not even been two weeks yet. I mean, we, it was 12 days ago that I'd come up to Jerusalem, and I didn't come to create a riot. This isn't like some long-standing, uh, you know, thing that they've tried to make it sound. On top of it, he said, they found me neither in the temple disputing with anybody. I wasn't, you know, kind of sitting there arguing with anybody. I wasn't doing any of those things. I wasn't inciting the crowd. I wasn't doing, that wasn't anything that was there. I wasn't doing that in synagogues. I wasn't doing it in the city. Like, none of that actually happened. He says, you could just look on this and be able to figure it out. So Paul just says, hey, this is what happened. In fact, he goes on down in verse 18 It says, in the midst of which some Jews from Asia found me purified in the temple, you know, neither with a mob or with with tumult. Like, I didn't do any of that. You know, none of these things happened. I come back to it and just say, in a world that's filled with lies, don't do it. Don't, Don't flatter don't lie. I love the way Jesus just simply told us. He said, your yes should be your yes and your no is your no. Anything more than that is from the evil one. Anything where somebody would look at you and think, can I trust what you're saying? You should be such a person of the truth that it's who we are, you know, that we don't have to change the story. It doesn't have to grow. We don't have to, you know, flavor it. There should be a space that whatever we're dealing with, we don't play those games. We don't, we don't play the games of flattery. We don't play the games uh, of the way it works. We just 
okay, I know what happens. I'll tell you exactly what happened. This is what happened. I mean, I mean, it's just the facts. I mean, I'm not going to try to play that. I'm just, you want to know what happens, I'll, I'll tell it to you. And so Paul does that. And it's, it's beautiful. I, I hope it is to you. Just to, to find someone that just says, I'll just, you know, I'm just speaking the truth. That's all. That's, that's all there is. There's not anything else there. There's not anything else that would play in the midst of it. In the midst of it, he does simply call out the places where they're lying. He says in verse 13, nor can they prove the things which they now accuse me. He says, none of it happened and nobody can prove it because there, there's no witnesses. There's nobody here saying this. It's just them making up this story. It's not any part of, of what took place. It's not anything that's there. In fact, picking it up there again in verse 18, he says, In which the midst of some of the Jews from Asia, they found me purified in the temple, neither with a mob nor with a tumult. They ought to have been here before you did object if they had anything against me. Uh, or else those who are here themselves, if they found any wrongdoing in me. You know, as I stood before the council, I mean, if, if, there's, if there's something there, then they should have been able to prove it, but he's able simply to say, these, are, these things aren't true. Like, none of that's true. No proof to it. And so he, he very clearly, very simply, just is able to call out the lies, not a bad thing. That in one sense to say, that didn't happen. Didn't happen the way you said it happened. You don't have anything that's there. But in the midst of it, Paul does a little bit more. He begins to unpack. Why? He begins to unpack some really cool things that if even these would land here this evening, they would maybe be some of the really important ones. Because as he do this, he just explains what was happening. Like, why was he actually there? And to say it in simple words, it's because he loves God. He was there for one reason. He was there to honor and worship him. Go back and notice the words. He says in verse 14, But this I confess to you, according to the way... <laughs> which they're calling a sect, I worship the God of my fathers, believing all things which are written in the law of the prophets. I have hope in God. I have hope in God, you know, in which they, which they also accept that there will be a resurrection of the dead, both of the just and the unjust. This being so, I myself always strive to have a conscience without, without offense toward God and men. It's a beautiful, I mean, it's, this is an amazing statement that Paul's able to say, why was I there? I mean, I was there to worship God. I, I came to please him. I wasn't there for any other reason than what I was doing was that. I, I have a hope in God, and here's my hope, and here's what I'm aiming for. I want to please him. I live my life, he says, trying to have a good conscience before God, to say, God, is there anything that you're not happy with? And, you know, I'm, I, I want to be pleasing to you. It's a powerful just picture of a place of saying, you know, th there's, there's one I'm really concerned about standing in front of. And, and maybe it should almost be felt that he's able to say, you know, Felix, I'm much more concerned about pleasing God than I am about pleasing you. Um, I, I, I strive to have a good conscience before God every day. You know, people lie, people are other things, but here's what I'm seeking to do. I'm seeking to, to, to live my life in a way that's pleasing to him. If you could give that answer in any situation that you find yourself in, 
even when you're misunderstood. Can I tell you? Well done. Where you could say, so why do I do what I do? Because I love God. And I'm trying to please Him. I live my life day by day saying, God, I, I want to have a good conscience before you. I want to I live in your sight. I want to please you. If that can be your aim, if that, if that is your, your space of living, you're living well. I mean, you're living in the right place where we're saying, you know, it matters to me more what God says about me than you say about me. And Paul's able to say that. He says, my defense is I, I, was, I was serving God. I was loving Him. Is the reason I did what I did. It's the reason I held out of this. And in the midst of it, he tosses out a couple other nuggets, maybe more, but I'll just quickly point out some. He ties into it that his hope, his belief, is rooted in the Scriptures that he's able to just look there and tell them as they're looking at it. He says, by this I confess to you, verse 14, that according to the way that they call a sect, so it's the way or what we would call Christianity, they're calling it a cult or a sect. He says, I worship the God of my fathers, believing everything he told us, believing all things which are written in the law and the prophets. That's the Bible, the Old Testament, which they have at that time. He says, here's what I do. I believe this book. I believe this. I, I believe this. This is what guides my life. This is what, what shapes my life. I hold fast to this. I just like that again. I, don't, I, just, I just do. I just think that there's something powerful that if we're able to, to look at it and, and say, this is, my, this, is, you know, this is the weight of, of what I live by. This is, you know, it's, it's not on these shifting principles of our world that right is called wrong and wrong is called right and then it shifts and today something's wrong that yesterday was right to say none of those things are where I hold my life this is my life this I'm hold, I'm basing my life off of this and and this is the way that I live this is what I'm doing I believe in God I believe in this book in fact he ties into it that just the hope that he has of standing before God he says I have hope in God verse 15 which they also say they have hope they accept that this isn't the end of the story. There's going to be a resurrection, both of the just and the unjust. He says, that being so, I'm always trying to live in light of that. I live my life into the understanding that this is not the end of life, and I'm going to stand before God and give an account for me. And so I live my life that way. I live my life uh, to a higher calling and to a higher standard and into a standard that I believe where this is going. It's just a good defense. I mean, it's a good defense that if you're thinking it through, really, he probably doesn't, this is not what he's wanting to hear. He's wanting just, okay, what happened? Why did you do it? He says, I want to tell you why I did it. I love God. I believe in his word. I have hope. I have hope in eternity. And these things, uh, they are the the modes of my life. Uh, These are the things that that guide me and hold me and keep me. and, And all of that Paul had in a way that helped him walk in this moment. But he adds one more that I'll just simply say that perhaps he even owns his faults. What do you mean? Well, go back and see it. So he says there in verse 20, he says, Or else let those who are here themselves say if they found any wrongdoing uh, in me while I stood before the council, unless it is for this one statement, which I cried out uh, standing among them, saying concerning the resurrection of the dead, I am, I am being judged by you this day. I don't want to take you all the way back into the story, but Paul had been there, had been there before the 
the, the Pharisees and the Sadducees. It had been an unfair trial. And it tells us he, he saw the situation. And then with the wisdom that is perhaps a God-given wisdom, maybe, uh, he was able to turn the, the, the thing and he kind of sided with the Pharisees if you were there. And he says, hey, I believe in the resurrection. And it created a whole mess. It's possible uh, that what Paul's saying here is that's the only thing that maybe I did wrong. Like I probably should, you know, you know from, a, from a, a judicial standpoint, yeah, I did incite a riot. I mean, I, I did that intentionally, and yeah, that's the only thing. But even that, it was just because I believed in the hope. I says that's the only thing in the midst of this whole story that you could actually say maybe uh, that you did that caused problems. He says that's the only thing you could say, but he owns it. I mean, he just, he just, he just kind of says this is the only, I mean, what, what a beautiful space. I mean, they didn't even bring this up as an accusation. Uh, you know, to him. But Paul says, well, you know what? You, you left out part of the, the thing I did wrong. I'll tell you what I might have done, you know, that could have created a little bit of, you know, tension in the moment. I did do one thing, and, and this was it. And I, that's just a beautiful space uh, of, again, just an honesty and a transparency and, and owning your own faults and walking through all of this. I mean, Paul just does it well. And I like it. I mean, I'm just wanting you to understand, I mean, everything's kind of brought against him. It was unfair, lies, uh, libel, misrepresentations, but he handles it well. And I suppose, again, I'm just trying to say, boy, if you need an example of how you can navigate some of those things that you're either walking through right now or you will walk through, I hope you can see it. So much better just to be a person that's like, well, I just tell the truth. <laughs> I'm just gonna I just tell the truth. I'm not gonna try to hide anything. If I did something wrong, I'll tell you why I think I might have done that. You know, that, that's one thing that's there. But same moment, you know, I'm gonna tell you why I do it. I love God. I believe in his word. I have hope. And I live my life for that. And if that's gonna get me into trouble, let that get me into trouble. And and, and in the midst of it, it's got just a gospel hope to it, a nugget of, of truth into it, that those who are listening would be able to understand that his life was lived as a good example and worthy that it should be so. May that be an example that you and I can follow and face and, and see and walk in and find ourselves able to, to be able to say, hey, these are, are the things we hold to, and this is how we, we face through that. Well, we watch all of that, and in that last uh, part of the verses, we want to just take it in two spaces. And one of it, I just want you to watch Felix, the Roman governor. And we'll just kind of hop through these verses and note what I'm going to call his folly. Like how he handles this and he handles it badly. Verse 22, it says, When Felix heard these things, having a more accurate knowledge of the way, like he kind of understood what Christianity is, kind of understood you know, how that was working throughout the Roman world, that it wasn't the way the Jews were trying to misrepresent it. Uh, he adjourned the proceedings and said, when Lysias, the commander, comes down, I will make a decision on your case. He postpones. He says, you know what? We'll talk about this later. I'll figure it out later. But he's not honest about it. He's, Lysias never comes down. Uh, this never brought back to trial. It's his way of kind of pushing it back, which we'll find it's already going to be something that's very much a, a part of this. And it just becomes one that does so, you know, in, in that sense, because he's manipulating in the midst of it. Oh, we'll see that more as that continues. Uh, you know, he leaves Paul there. We'll skip over that. 
jump to verse 24 for a moment. It says, After some days, when Felix came with his wife, Drusilla, who was Jewish, he sent for Paul and heard him concerning the faith in Christ. So it's kind of an interesting thing. So Paul's there. He's, he's kind of got him on this waiting for retrial, waiting for appeal that never comes. And in the midst of it, his wife comes down and they decide, hey, we want to hear Paul. Maybe she does. Maybe because she's Jewish. Uh, you know, maybe she's the one that wants to hear this. Uh, maybe they both are just thinking, hey, let's just talk a little bit more about this. But again, just a tiny bit of history. Um, if Felix's story was a mess, and it was, the slave who became a governor who governed like a slave uh, in, in debauchery and uh, cruelty, Drusilla's story was equally bad. Um, today, it probably would have made headlines. Uh, she was the youngest daughter of Agrippa I. Uh, this is the one of, in Acts chapter 12, Herod there. She was married at 14 to a man named Azarus, who was king of Emesa. When Felix saw her, uh, he wants her for his wife, saw how beautiful he was. He employs a magician uh, named Atmos, who kind of through lies and deception and, and, and weird things in the midst of it, convinces her that she needs to leave her husband. Uh, that, 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 you know, the stars are aligned, that everything's kind of working in the midst of this when she was 16. Uh, she's then married to Felix, who becomes his third wife. Eventually, uh, she has a son named Agrippa, who later is going to die in Mount Vesuvius in AD 79. It's a messy story. I mean, just deception and trickery. And so again, just a messy couple. I mean, I just want you to kind of feel that. I want you to feel who they are, because it does play a little bit into the story. Well, they come in, and they're like, hey, we'd like to hear about your faith. We'd like to hear what's going on. Paul shares boldly. Hey, we'll come back and talk about that, uh, what it was. Uh, I'll just read it, and then we'll talk about, we'll come back. It says, now he reasoned about righteousness, self-control, and judgment to come. I want you to just notice Felix. Felix was afraid and answered, go away for now. <laughs> when I have a convenient time, I will call for you. This is actually one of the scariest parts of the entire chapter. Um, it, it's, a, it's a space where, where Felix hears the gospel, and he hears what's laid out before him, and it actually makes him afraid. He actually fears it. He, he feels a, a, a little bit of what's happening there, but he does what he's already done. He procrastinates. He says, Paul... <laughs> Wow, that's some pretty heavy-duty words. That's pretty, tell you what, go away. Go away, and we'll talk about this later. I want you just to think this through with me for a moment because it's a scary, scary thing. Procrastination is one of the largest things that's carrying people to hell today. It's been said that atheism kills its thousands, Procrastination kills its tens of thousands, kind of pulling off the thing of, of David and Saul. It's just simply true. Procrastination is so dangerous because you don't actually have to say no. You don't actually have to reject it. You don't actually have to say, I disagree. All you have to do is postpone it. But the Bible tells us that every time we put off that making a decision for Christ, it could be that space where our heart becomes harder and harder. It may be that this moment in Felix's life is the closest he ever comes to the gospel. And he pushes it away. He pushes it away. 
Not by rejecting it, not by disagreeing, but just saying later. Can I just give that warning? Don't do that. Are you here this evening and you're not yet a follower of Jesus? And it's a funny thing. It's more common than most of maybe we'd admit. Some people, they're like, well, it's not that I disagree. It's not that I don't think there's a God. I'm just not ready. Uh, later. You know, some other time in my life, maybe. Um, maybe I have more time. Uh, I, I want to come back to this. But I want to tell you, if, if God is working away, it, it becomes one of the for eternity. You're kind of this, and you're close to anything we know historically away for now. Don't years, uh, portion bound. This folly is this thing we've already seen. By wanting to please, but he leaves him back there. This is not and, and, and we just get a sense this happens in our world. In our world happens and leaders happens on all of those things. It's worth us understanding it and wanting to stay away from it. In the midst of that, though, let's come back to Paul. And I want you just to kind of, you know, follow with me in this same section that we just read and watch things that he does. So backing up a couple verses. So when the trial had happened, Felix adjourned it and says, hey, you know what, we'll, we'll deal with this later. When, when Lysias comes down, I'll make a decision. He never does. He kind of puts it off. Verse 23, when he commanded the centurion to, uh, to keep Paul, let him have liberty, and he told him not to forbid any of his friends to provide for or visit him. It's unjust. I mean, it's unjust. It's totally unfair what happens to Paul. But there are opportunities. Paul's going to spend over two years in prison. In that, what does he do? Well, some of it he writes. Some of what you get to hold in your hands. Uh, the scriptures. He writes. He writes letters. Uh, he, he deals with it. In fact, even though he's in jail, uh, you know, Felix gives him a certain amount of freedom. He says, give him liberty. I mean, like, you know, don't make this hard on him. Anybody wants to come and visit him, let him come. We don't know who did. But can I tell you? I'm certain people did. I'm certain in these two years, uh, Paul had a just ongoing discipleship and, and spaces of people coming, investing into his life. And it's worth us just seeing that, understanding that even though life is unfair, God is still working. He's still on the throne. And, and he's allowing this to work, and Paul's able to walk through that. Why do I tell you that? Well, I guess I'm trying to again say, well, I hope it doesn't happen to you. I hope in one sense you don't find yourself at the end of something happening in your workplace or something in your life where it's just unfair. It's just wrong. Like that shouldn't be done. It shouldn't be done. What happened to you just shouldn't be done. And you find yourself thinking, where's justice? Where's righteousness? Where's this whole thing? And you find yourself wondering, like, God, how are you working in the midst of this? He is. Like, God has a plan. It's not always the way we do it. It's not a, a perfect world, but Paul's able to do this, and if he can, you can. If, you can, if he can navigate through this and, and, and find one who still continues to serve God in the midst of it when life is unfair, it's just helpful for us to understand it, and Jesus once more promised it to us. In this world, it's, you're going to have tribulation. I've overcome. Be of good cheer, but it's going to be weird. It's going to be weird in this world for you. You should know that, and, and we should. Paul did. He walks through this. Not only does he kind of walk through these unjust opportunities, in the midst of it, he is absolutely bold in sharing the truth. So go back to me. We read it kind of quickly, and you probably saw it. But at the end of verse 24, again, Paul is called, and they want to hear. Tell us about faith in Christ. 
tell us about this whole thing that, you know, you call the way Christianity. Paul's like, okay, I will. And he reasoned about righteousness, self-control, and the judgment to come. Do you remember who these guys are? Do you remember what Felix is? I mean, the slave become, and he's corrupt, and he's immoral, and the treachery and the weirdness he has. Paul pulls no bars. He just, he just absolutely shares truth, which is amazing. He says, let's talk about righteousness. We think about what that might have been, talking about that no one is righteous, helping him understand sin, that there is a right and a wrong. You're in the wrong. There's a standard, and there's, there's, a, there's a space of that, and he, and he reasons not only about right and wrong, but about self-control. Like, you're responsible for what you can't blame the culture or anybody else. You, he says you should, you should have self-control. Like you, in the midst of this, get to make choices and, and to reason with these guys don't have to tell them there's a judge God. And you're, you're getting away with everything. No Christianity life. <laughs> like, that's what to say truth of righteousness and that the only way well for me. There is it can be shared the heart of it and for ought to be done. How that in one sense we find ourselves ne- we shouldn't be moved from that. Found myself thinking about it and um, looking up an account I'd read in church history, and I thought I'd just share it. So Hugh Latimer, who was one of the early uh, English reformers, he was preaching uh, in, in his church, and the king decided to come to church. Uh, Henry VIII uh, came, and he came and sat in the church, and he was offended. He was offended with what, he, what, what uh, Hugh Latimer said, and so, you know, he'd, they basically sent people to talk to him and, and said, you know, you need to fix this. Like, you've said things that offended the king. Like, you shouldn't do that. You need to make apology for these kinds of things. And so he was commanded to, to preach again the next Sunday, and the king would be in attendance. And he's so like, okay, this time, you're going to preach knowing that I'm there, and you're going to change what you say. You're going to fix this whole thing. So uh, that Sunday, as he began to preach, he began his message this way, talking to himself. Hugh Latimer, dost thou know before whom there art this day to speak? To the high and mighty monarch, the king's most excellent majesty, who can take away thy life if thou offendest. Therefore thou should speak not a word that would displease. But then consider well, Hugh. Dost thou not know from whence thou comest upon whose message thou art sent? Even by the great and mighty God who is all present, who beholdeth all thy ways and is able to cast thy soul into hell. Therefore take care that thou deliver the message faithfully. You know what he did? He preached the exact same message that he preached the week before. And just said, but you know, it said, you know what? I'm going to stand before God. You know, I'm going to stand before God. You know, I'm not, I'm, I'm not moved, to, you know, by, by, by the fear of what this might cost me. And I think this is incredible. How good it would be that we would be that. That that example of these and of Paul, even this moment, would be that. In fact, as we kind of close it this evening, it's interesting that it kind of gives it just this thought. It says, meanwhile, Felix hoped that money would be given him by Paul that he might release him. So he's hoping for a bribe. And and maybe it would have worked. Maybe a bribe would have worked and Paul could have got out of prison. Therefore, he sent for him more often and conversed with him. And Paul never gets out. 
Paul doesn't get out of prison for those two years. Instead, he just remains faithful. He just never gives in to the pressure, never gives in to playing the world's game that way. And I want to end this evening by just encouraging that in you. You know, the relentlessness of it, the ugliness of it is so much a part of our world. And it will be. And it will be growing. And yet to find us to say, wow, you know, I want to be one who would be this one like Paul, like Hugh Latimer, that would say, you know what, I'm going to stand before God. I'm more concerned about standing before him than I am about offending you. I am more concerned uh, about pleasing my God than I am uh, pleasing my culture or my family or my boss or my friends. To say that, God, I'm more desirous to say I want to be one who represents you well. It's just a good space to see it. And to see, again, it doesn't always go perfectly in a worldly sense. I mean, if, if you and I were writing the story, Paul would have preached the gospel and Felix would have gotten saved and released him from prison. And it would have been like, you know, but it's not the way it happens. It's unfair. He gets to stay in prison for years. But he's held fast and he has stayed true in the midst of a broken world. It's a good example for us. It's a good calling for us to follow this, to be like Christ. Jesus said, hey, don't, don't think it's going to be different for you than it was for me. If they treated me this way, if they treated me, who's come to be the Savior's perfect, and they, you know, miss, you know, they slander him, and they, there's a miscarriage of justice that carries him to the cross, don't think it's going to be different for you. Don't think it's going to be different. It's going to be the same. But that we get to follow Jesus and say, through this is a glorious end. So let's close this evening, close your Bibles, and, and just hoping in the midst of it that God would encourage you to stand. Stand true. Stand fast to be like Paul, to be one that shares that and speaks that. And I just close one more time saying, if that's you. If you're here this evening and you're not ready to stand before God at the end of this age, there's a judgment that is to come. And everyone who doesn't know Jesus is going to hell. The Bible is that clear. Anybody who hasn't placed their faith in Christ is going to spend just eternity in hell. That doesn't change. And and, and you should be able to live in light of that and say, God, that's not what I want. And, and And the way to escape that is Christ. So let's pray for that and pray that we would be good representatives of that. Father, thank you for just the good example of the Apostle Paul. Thank you for the weight of the gospel and the beauty in the midst of a very weird, broken world. Help us to live it, do it, walk in that. Would you strengthen the hands and hearts of my brothers and sisters to be those who hold fast to you? Speaking the truth, in love, but speaking the truth. And God, would you rescue people who would be postponing, giving their lives to you, that even today would be the day of salvation. We ask for that now as we trust this to you. In Jesus' name, amen.